You're listening to Searching for Grog. I am your host, Adam, and I am joined by Evan and Andrew. Unfortunately, today we do not have the luxury of being joined by Booney. He is off in slumberland. <laughs> and um, that actually kind of reminds me, guys. So one of my favorite games on the NES was the game Little Nemo in Slumberland. Have you guys ever played that? No. What's what's it about? The name sounds familiar, but I don't think I ever played it. Well, you're so you're the little cartoon character, Little Nemo, Windsor McKay character, and um, you're in Dreamland. But so I think it's like sort of related to. They made an animated movie based on that, you know, way back when. But this game is like I think that they designed the main character to look like that Nemo. But other than that, it has nothing to do with the film at all. But it's really cool because you can throw candy at these little creatures and then when they fall asleep, you can either ride them or sort of become them. Like, I don't know if you're like jumping in their mouth and like wearing them like a skin suit or. Oh God. (laughs) I'm not sure, but there's like a newt that can crawl on walls. So when you jump on him, you're on his back and he crawls up the walls with you. But then there's like a, there's like a mole that you jump in and you become like a mole. So it's kind of weird, but, um, it was probably the first incident where I was aware of like the, I don't even know what to call it, like the shorthand kind of that when somebody's asleep in Japanese comics that they have like a bubble coming out of their nose. If you guys oh, are yeah. that trope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the first time that I'd ever <laughs> seen that was probably on that game. But that was that was one of my very favorite NES games. What about for you guys? Can you think of a game on the NES that, you know, that like instantly brings back really good memories. Huh. Well, I guess, I guess for you, Drew, yeah. NES was a little bit before your time, but. Right. But I have a few in my head. Actually, you know, one that I played recently that is surprisingly uh, pretty fleshed out, but also very simple. It's, it's just called, I think, Ice Hockey, 1992, three, maybe. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh my god, uh, they have it now on the Switch, and you can play online, uh, but I got so into it. Like, you can steal pucks, there's icing, There's you can fight, um, you can play as goalie. Like, all the things that you would play in NHL, you know, these days, just with, you know, a more <laughs> simplified <laughs> aesthetic. Um, That's, um, that actually reminds me, so Brandon told me the other day that he... He was like, uh, I think like one of his daughter's friend's dad like works for EA or something like that. And that he was telling him, oh, yeah, my brother and I loved NHL PA 96 or something like that, or maybe 93 (laughs) or whatever it was. Yeah. And he was like, that's a very strange favorite game. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) But Out of all the options. Yeah, we we definitely love that one, though. All right. So you you were down with the uh, with the old. uh, NHL or not even NHL, just ice hockey. I think it's just ice hockey. They didn't have a partnership yeah. then. There was there was a whole series of games that were just named after the sport. Like <laughs> right. yeah, they didn't yeah. plan ahead. Like we're, it's just this is this is the ice hockey game. This is the golf game. <laughs> yeah, and they yeah. still didn't even plan ahead. Like once it switched over to super, they just added super to it. They're like super baseball, super. Yeah, you know, that's right. Like, how how far are we going to take this? <laughs> Although I guess they do continue to take it. Like because they were still like we baseball or like i don't know we boxing or whatever so yeah 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 fair enough um i'll say one more thing too but if it, if not that then when you were talking about 
uh, Little Nemo. I was thinking of The Boy and His Blob was another game that I was totally captivated yes. by. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I think there were similar mechanics. You could you could use him as like I don't know different objects or tools, right? So yes, yeah, so you feed him jelly beans, and you have like like a hundred different flavors of jelly beans in your pocket, and some of them have you have a lot, and some of them you don't have very many at all. And whatever jelly bean flavor you feed him, it changes what the blob changes into. So like if you need a ladder, you give him a certain one. But the thing about it is it's not, it's not intuitive at all. It's not like, you know, something that sounds like a ladder. It's something, (laughs) you know, there's no like rhyme or reason to it. And maybe there was, that was written somewhere in like a manual. But of course, being a kid, I never looked at that manual. So it was always just like trial and error. And then writing down in a notebook what he turns into and then like resetting the game and going through it again. And, you know, you inevitably like run out of the jelly bean. You really need to do a certain part. So, yeah, that's where I ended up. I think I I, I don't even know if I got through a level. I would get like a ladder, get to a a higher area and then I have no idea what I'm doing. But I just (laughs) I remember being so captivated by the uh, the concept. So basically you're saying like the main mechanic of the game changing him into something is where you got stumped and turned off the game. <laughs> right. And I was like, Nope, it's not for me <laughs> thinking. Nope. Count me out. <laughs> All right. So Evan, what about you? Uh, what's the uh, NES classic for you? So my number one, which is like the easiest answer. Um, you know, the, the game I logged the most time on was definitely super, super Mario brothers three. Um, cause that game is so good. Although now that you, when you were talking about little Nemo wearing the enemies as like a skin suit, um, now I'm imagining, you know, when Mario puts on the frog suit, it's not just him turning into a frog. He actually has to like murder a frog and get inside it. It's like a much more, <laughs> That's he's right. much more of an anti-hero. Um, but definitely the, for the hammer brothers. Yeah. Uh, the other one that I think is really good and also really holds up because I've gone back to some of those games that I had some nostalgia for. And most of the time when you go back to them, especially the NES games, they just don't hold up. I found that the Super Nintendo ones do, but the Nintendo games are are usually a little rough. But the one that I think holds up so great is uh, Punch-Out. Oh, yes. I loved that game then and I love it now. It's like kind of the right amount of difficulty where you can always get, you know, you can always get past, you know, Glass Joe. Um, and probably through the first circuit, even if you're a little kid. Um, but then even if you've been playing for a long time, you know, you'll always hit that point where it just gets so tough. Soda Popinski. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Right about that point. (laughs) (laughs) I was, it's funny that you mentioned that because I, I was literally just playing that the other day. I went to a friend's house party and he turned it on because it was on the switch. Um, you know, Nintendo, like the virtual consoles. That's it. That's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, So it was on there and he said put something on that everybody can watch and so I put that on and yeah, got through the first couple circuits. Um and they were all just I think some of them had never played it or hadn't played it that much cuz they were like you, you you took out King Hippo in in one you know, you only knocked him down once and I was like you can only knock him down once. Like you yeah. can't get up after that. <laughs> so, um yeah, that that's a definitely that's a classic for sure. Um, and one of the guys who I was there with, he was like, I'll tell you the password to get right to Mike Tyson if you want. I have it memorized. I, I can't forget it. So, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. 
Nice. Wait, on so on the virtual console, is it Mike Tyson or is it the? It's not. I think it's Mr. Dream. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Mr. Dream. I think Dream, yeah. I think the license ran out on that. Um, having Mike Tyson in the game, whatever his mm. contract was, so that's why they that's why it became the new character. They they never re-upped it. I thought it had to do with him them sort of distancing themselves from him because he was, you know, like there was that spat in the not that spat there was that little <laughs> bit of time in the 80s and early 90s when he was like getting into sort of criminal trouble and stuff but that that was just my assumption i have no idea that could have been why they never re re-upped the contract but i i had always heard that it was it was kind of like they had a contract for his likeness for a certain amount of time and then probably either because of that or like you know maybe his price went up higher because i think they signed him mm-hmm. when he was sort of up and coming and you know, at the time, maybe the contract was up. It kind of became he had become the the premier boxer in the world, and maybe he was asking too high a price. It's funny to imagine that being the case, and that Michael Jackson was not savvy enough to negotiate like a temporary <laughs> lock on his Moonwalker game, yeah. right? <laughs> huh. Yeah. What would the ba- what would their backup plan be? Like Corey Feldman's Moonwalker, <laughs> <laughs> Vanilla Ice. Yeah. The thing is. I think um, I think that Michael Jackson was into video games. At least that's what I've heard. There's like you know I don't know if you guys have heard. There's this whole story about how he secretly composed the soundtrack to Sonic Two or something like that. Um, Whoa, that's a which, crazy which theory. Ended up, it ended up having substance to it. Like it was a fan theory for a long time, and then I think they actually were able to at least partly prove that he had at least contributed to some tracks for uh, Sonic Two. I think. Wow. If I'm wrong, everybody come and tweet at me. Tell me I'm wrong. (laughs) Hey, Sonic fans. Adam here. You're probably thinking, hey, he said Sonic 2, and it's actually Sonic 3 that Michael Jackson worked on. That's the end of the world. Well, please wipe the foam away from your mouth. I should have said Sonic 3. Please forgive me. Now, back to the show. Yeah, well, not is, tweet. This episode is just spreading uh, the video game urban legends without any fact checking done. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> that's our job. <laughs> so, guys, speaking of retro games, um, I wanted to start off this episode uh, because maybe you guys saw on my social media, but I went to Tokyo um, a few days ago, and I went to this arcade there that is—it's kind of legendary in a way because. A lot of YouTube videos show like tournaments there, you know, these kind of champions of Street Fighter and stuff like that will come and fight. Um, I mean, will come and and challenge each other there. But there's an old retro arcade in this part of Tokyo called Takada no Baba. And um, it's pretty cool. It's got like two or three stories and just all these old machines and like one whole section. It's a whole bunch of linked cabinets where these guys can have these fighting tournaments, you know, King of Fighters and street fighter and whatever else so it's a cool place and what was really cool to me or what sort of stood out there was a couple things that i noticed um that sort of have to do with the game x-men and now lethal enforcers i feel like is is almost equally part of this show (laughs) so um one of the things that i noticed right off the bat is how derivative so many arcade games are and I think that that's kind of how the industry used to be. Like, you know, if Taito puts out a good cabinet, then the very next year, 
you know, like Namco puts out the same cabinet with like a slightly different name uh-huh. and the same game mechanics and like maybe the, the color of the airplane is a different color or something like that. <laughs> so like, cause I always, I remember as a kid being confused, like, Oh, which one is Galaxian and which one is Galaga and which one is defender and which one is, uh, you know, defense or whatever, you know, like I was always like, um, confused about that. And, and I think that that's kind of, that was the business model for a long time, right? For these games. Um, and so it makes you appreciate when a really, truly unique concept comes out or somebody that's sort of innovative. Mm-hmm. And I think I think that Lethal Enforcers was actually very innovative. I don't know if they're the first ones to do these digitized photos, but what I can say is, you know, they had Midway there, right there in Chicago, that they are, as far as I know, they're playtesting at the same arcades is what I've heard. And they are very aware of what's going on over there, right? And so they see Mortal Kombat and other like digitized art. And I think that they probably felt that pressure to to put that kind of game out. Um, And I hadn't really seen a lot of that in other places. At this arcade, I saw a game called Operation Wolf 3 and it was put out by Taito. but it was actually not developed directly by them. So it's kind of weird because Operation Wolf 1 and 2, they have like animated characters, sprites and stuff. And then all of a sudden, 3 is like a knockoff of Lethal Enforcers. Huh. Like it, it looks totally the same, except it's a little bit more uh, user-friendly because like the friendly fire people have a big thing that says don't shoot, like a air pointing at them. <laughs> Other than like compared to Lethal Forces where like they jump out and they sort of look like a bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> <You> know, like, <laughs> like it's like, it's a guy in a suit and it's a guy in a suit with sunglasses. So the sunglasses <laughs> guy is bad. <laughs> um, and I feel like this one was much more like kind of polished. Um, and it came up maybe a year or two afterwards. It was really, really fun. It basically took all the fun parts of Lethal Enforcers and then um, made it, you know, you have a little bit more of the haptic feedback and stuff like that that kind of made that game special. But it made me realize that that was a really special game. I I remember it standing out when we were were kids. And um, to make a game stand out is kind of an accomplishment, I think. So that's something that I would definitely give Konami credit for with both Lethal Enforcers and X-Men is that they made games that stand out and make you want to go to them, you know compared to all these ones that are derivative. Yeah, it seems like they uh they definitely always I don't know if it was just their business model or or the the developer, you know, the people who are making the games, it was kind of like their personal thing, but it does seem like you know, when we talk about all the new titles, they all have some unique mechanic. It's never a a full retread even if the game style is like, you know, kind of a retread, but even like, you know, every Turtles game they put out, they do something a little bit different. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, every one of those brawlers, there's like a little different game mechanic or, or something that's, that, that changes it up enough to make it interesting, but it's still, you know, 90% familiar. And then that extra 10% is kind of the new exciting stuff. And then, you know, they also weren't afraid to just go full, you know, experimental on some of those games too. Right. Well, definitely. So that's the other thing that I noticed about at this arcade is, there was a game there called uh, Ninja Warriors. Have you guys ever heard of Ninja Warriors? No, I'm just thinking of the uh, the you know fitness competition. Yeah, same. Yeah, <laughs> which I doubt it's any relation. 
<laughs> so no, it's not related at all. And this is another one of those where there's you know there's Ikari warriors and there's ninja warriors and mystic warriors and all of these other ones. But this is um, this was put out I think as well by Taito, and it came out um, well actually even before I tell you that, what really made made it catch my eye is that it has three monitors. So, oh. which is crazy because X Men had two. And when I looked carefully at it, there's one in the center and then two reflected on either side. So it's using the same mechanic. And Evan, I remember that you mentioned that X-Men was one of the only ones that you'd seen that had that. And you were wondering if, you know, if anybody else had ever used that. Um, there was another cabinet in this same arcade with a game called Darius. And that one also had three, and it was also put out by Taito. Hmm. And huh. so I was like, okay, maybe they had paid for the, you know, to use this patent or something like that. But here's where it's weird. This game, Ninja Warriors, came out in 1987. So it came out before X-Men. Huh. And, yeah, it's weird because I personally have seen the patent. I went and looked it up, and I know for a fact that they did take the patent and it says on it multiple screens you know it's, i forget exactly what the wording is but it's it's you know using multiple scre- screens without a kind of a a break in the in the monitor yeah and this one did that to a further extent so it made me wonder if they had got the idea from that if maybe Taito had just been lazy and not actually filed a patent or yeah I don't know. Well, and patents are usually weird enough where, like, if someone does a three-monitor arcade, that, like, you can still do a two or a four, right? Or yeah, or you yeah. can use... They're very specific. If you use a different, uh, you know, a different technology for how it's reflecting, you know, like the concept of two and three screens, you can't patent that, but you can patent the exact way that it's, uh, that it's organized or the, that it's achieving that. Um, but that's interesting because, you know, maybe I guess those just weren't as big a games, but you know, that seemed like that was kind of a big deal for X-Men that it was the two screens. And (laughs) it also seems weird that the precursor to that would be a three screen. Like, yeah, why jump from one to three? (laughs) Well, so I'm wondering too, you know, with patents, you have to, they're filed by country, right? So I wonder if it's one of those things, maybe is a reason why X-Men was in our theory made, you know, partially at least in America so they could avoid that patent. I don't know, but that's kind of like what I'm thinking too, is it's, it's one of those things where they saw Japan and the success there, wherever Taiko is located like, okay, well we're going to steal it domestically or something like that. Yeah. I mean, it's possible, but I'm pretty sure that if I recall the patent was, was, uh, Taking like they they had registered it here, oh. I think. Hmm. So I'm not, I'm not totally sure. Um, the, the the whole cabinet itself, Ninja Warriors, is really weird because they used the frame from an old game, an even older one, like 1983 Taito game called Laser Grand Prix, which um, I think had like a laser disc system. I don't know if the arcade one did, but they had like a laser disc base for it, which is really weird. Whoa. <laughs> um, but the cabinet itself looks like a race car. It's, it's sort of like the old Daytona ones or, or not even like that. Maybe like, like afterburner or something like it has a full shell that you get inside of. 
Um, so you're sitting down and playing this. That's so bizarre. Yeah. So Ninja Warriors, it's this short but really wide cabinet with like a seat that backs up like forward and backwards. So you're sitting down, but you're looking at this three screen thing. And I mean, guys, if you thought that like X-Men was sort of messed up because you can have a, somebody shoot from across the screen like this one, you can go <laughs> literally across three screens. Yeah, that's too much. Um, yeah, it's it's a really weird and cool game. And um, I played it quite a bit while I was there. Um, if you guys remember way back when we talked to uh, George Petro about Narc, and he's like, you can't shoot dogs. In this game, you absolutely can kill dogs with shooting gun, and you have to actually kill dogs. And they, they make this howling noise. Um, <laughs> so it's pretty, it's pretty devastating. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so that was kind of my exploration. The only other thing that really stood out is, I, of course, I had to play Metal Slug. Um, and they did have Michael Jackson's Moonwalker. I should mention that as well. But um, they had Metal Slug, and so I played through uh, Metal Slug 1 and I think maybe X. Um, and Metal Slug Announcer sounds similar to me to like Lethal Enforcer's announcer, which would, doesn't make any sense because that was an SNK game. Uh, it wasn't even SNK yet. That was like, it was like a little tiny studio that had broken off of IREM. Um, I can't even remember the name of it now, but so they only made like Metal Slug and then they immediately got bought by SNK. So there's no way that they had the budget or staff in the US to like I don't know, to be hiring the same people. I, I don't really know. I think it's just a coincidence that it sounds similar, but. I'll have to listen to that because I love Metal Slug. And yeah, I, I can kind of hear the voice in my head. And I don't know if it's just, um, I think part of it could be that the way that those, those games of that, those arcade games of about the same time, like the sound quality is all kind of similar. And the all those announcer voices, they kind of have that like echoey kind mm-hmm. of, uh, voice and they're they're usually just sh- saying short things um and you just kind of get yeah. these little mini clips there's not there's not a ton to like really s- like listen to and really pick up the nuances in but uh we'll have to listen to that that's interesting how how far did you play through the metal gear uh metal not metal, metal gear metal uh slug games uh i've uh i've played through most of them um in some form, like, you know, an emulation or, or something like that, or actually in an arcade where I can get there. I've played through most of them, um, for sure. One, two and X, and then maybe a little bit of metal slug. I don't even know if there is a metal slug three, but I think I've, I think there's like a four or five. Um, so I've played, I've played at least like three or four of them and they're all, I mean, they're all kind of the same thing, but they're all so good. They are. And what the reason I ask you that is because they start to build their own lore and their own, like, their own like language throughout them. Cause if you remember, like, I think it was metal gear. Uh, I keep saying that metal <laughs> slug two. I think metal slug two, like the guy had weird pronunciation. And so then like in the later metal slugs, they're making fun of that guy's pronunciation. Cause they start saying weird stuff like rocket launchers, like rocket launcher, rocket launcher. You know what I'm like? <laughs> That's great. So yeah, those games got weirder as they went. Cause they sort of built on their own lore. Um, <laughs> that that would be a fun dive just because that's such a weird series and it's there's really nothing in the world like it like you know just 
that you have like a somewhat living tank and it actually gets harder once you're in that because the controls are so bad. Yeah. And, stuff. yeah. and there's weird, there's weird. Yeah. Like you pick up random, like there's usually like random, like fish and playing cards and mm-hmm. stuff like that you're picking up as items. Like they don't really make that much sense. Well, also in that game, you have to eat food to like recover life. But if you eat too much food, you get fat and you can hardly jump and stuff. That's right. <laughs> is that in everyone or is that, a new, uh, a new that's one of the later ones okay. yeah it's one of the later ones yeah and but, i think in that um, same one there's like uh there's like mummies and they can turn yeah. you into a mummy if like the first hit turns you into a mummy and then you have to like kind of survive as a mummy for a little bit and then you can get back to normal yeah exactly they, yeah they do some weird mechanics like that but that's kind of what makes them fun because they're it's kind of like we were talking about it's like it needs to be like 90 percent the same game but then the 10 percent that's new you know they kind of they kind of have a lot of fun with yeah, yeah, for sure. I just found for a sure. still image of uh, Metal Gear. Metal, God, I said it too. Metal Slug X <laughs> uh, with a chubby, a chubby little guy. I didn't even know that was real or a thing. Okay, so it does it does start with X then? Okay, yeah. He <laughs> yeah. gets like a weird weird gun too, right? Yeah, it's like um oh, it's those, fatter. It's a, a God. What do you call those things? Like Thunderbust? a blunderbuss oh, or something? Blunderbuss. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So. Anyway, guys, enough about old classic video <laughs> games. Let's get on to old classic video games instead. Um, so, yeah, our, our old classic games. Right, yeah. right, right. So, guys, I made a little bit of progress. If you remember last time, we discussed that there was a, uh, you know, that we had, we had determined that a place called SVI, Sound Video Impressions, had kind of, we thought, taken you know they'd been in control of like actually hiring talent and trying to you know um well i guess yeah coordinating all of the talent for these games and we don't know if it's the ones that we're looking for but we knew that they did work with them uh, according to michael blaustein so i as i told you before svi just has like a generic contact form and I didn't want to go that route so I went on to LinkedIn and just looked for people who had that company listed in their work history and I did find somebody named Jerry and he has been there for I think like 35 years or something so it seemed like a perfect fit so and it says you know um like feel free to add me I'll add you back it says that on his LinkedIn so I and it has his email listed on his LinkedIn. So I sent him an email first thinking that, that might be better, but then I also added him on LinkedIn and he got back to me on LinkedIn right away. And so, you know, I asked him, I just said, here's what we're looking for. And I have heard that SVI worked on these things. What can you tell me about that? And he replied pretty quickly with kind of a gen- that kind of generic way of brushing me off, right? He said, this was a really long time ago. All the people who would have been there at that time would be gone now. And we don't have records going back that far because we've changed our record keeping com- uh, system. And so I'm sorry, that's just not anything I can do. And so I, of course, wrote back to him and I said, all right, well, you know, that's just kind of the, the march of time is doing this to everybody that we've talked to. But do you personally remember anything Um can you at least tell me if Konami ever worked with you and if SVI provided this type of service? 
And so he wrote back and said, it's totally the kind of thing SVI would have done, but I can't tell you whether or not we ever worked with a particular customer because I just don't have that information available to me. And again, it seemed like he was just kind of trying to be done with it. And so I wrote back one more time and I just said, I'm really sorry to be so pushy about this, but we have searched for over six months through Japan and Canada and all these different companies. And we're finally at this point where I feel we're getting narrowed in and I would be just, I would, you know, forever be kicking myself if I didn't push it with you. So please just tell me like, what are the agencies that you used? What are some names of people that you would have contacted? You know, stuff like that. Just try to imagine yourself back in that space, you know? And, <laughs> and so he wrote back to me and he said, I have to give you credit for your dogged determinism, <laughs> Not determinism but determin determination. Um, and so he said, here are the names of three agencies that we used all the time. Um, and here is the email address for the president of the company. He might remember more than me. Good luck. You know, so that was pretty cool. Nice. Wow. Um, yeah. Now it's interesting that, yeah, so, that you reach out to that guy and then you give Drew the guys that just reject him before even responding. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> like if someone had, someone has in their profile, like, yeah, feel free to add me. I'll add you back. Like, okay, I'll take that guy. Uh, Drew, why don't you take this guy who says, like, <laughs> add me and I'll track you down and shoot you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're welcome for that, Drew. I try to spice up your life a little bit. I do appreciate <laughs> it. Yeah. It's teaching me a lot. So, yeah. So, Jerry introduced me. First, I sent off an email to the president of SVI just thinking, you know, maybe he'll remember something. And um, his response was actually... You know, he was like, why don't you just ask the developers? They should remember. Why wouldn't they remember? Um, <laughs> I was like, do you think that I got to this point without ever thinking about that idea? Like, you know, so I think that we're at this certain point now in this quest where we have amassed such a certain amount of data that you can't possibly put in the introduction paragraph. Yes. Know? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So, so I, you know, I didn't get much of a good response from him, but I did go down the path of looking through these talent agencies. So there's three that he gave me. One is called Gray Talent Agency. One is called Stewart Talent Agency. And the other is called The Talent Group. And you guys probably, your ears probably perked up when I said Stewart, because this is probably the third, maybe fourth time I've mentioned them. Um, I have been in touch with them because their name has come up a few times. But, you know, they, they basically told me that they don't, have records going back very far at all. And all of their staff there, you know, began way later than that. So um, they weren't really able to give me much information. And I, I just kind of thought better to leave it alone. Um, Gray Talent Agency, it looks like it's only been around for maybe 10, 15 years or so, because I think it started in 2008. So that probably wouldn't be the one. And the other one, the talent group, they go back 30-something-odd years, too. And so I thought, okay, this is going to be the one. So I sent them a message, and right away, the person who responded was super helpful. said, I'm going to pass this on to uh, the president of our company because I think he'd know more than me. And, you know, sit tight. He'll get back to you soon. And then... You know, by the time I woke up in the morning, I had I had a response from him as well. Wow. And yeah, so here's where it's a little bit disappointing. He said, 
you know, unfortunately, all of their records uh, got destroyed by water damage in one of their like storage units or something or a warehouse or something like that. So there aren't records to look through. Um, but what he did say is, you know, please send me a clip and I will listen to it and see if it sounds, if I can ID it. So I sent him the clips that Evan had prepared that actually have lethal enforcers and X-Men, you know, sort of back to back. And I sent that off to him and I followed up, I think yesterday or two days ago. And he said, yeah, I've sent this off to, there's three or four people who I thought it might be. I sent it off to them. Three of them have confirmed that it was not them, but the other person has not got back to me yet. And that's the person who I feel like had the most kind of dynamic range, the person who I thought could have done it. So I'm, I'm trying to message them on, on social networks and stuff like that to get a hold of them to see if it's them. But, you know, I'll get back to you when they get back to me. So, you know, that, I mean, we're down to like one last person, yeah. basically. <laughs> wow. Um, but so cool of this guy to go to those lengths just to help us out. Like, just, you know, honestly, we've said this before, but it really touches me that, like, personally, that, that these people will go out of their way just to help this weird mystery, you know, move forward a little bit. So, yeah, from someone on the internet, like I, I agree with you. I think um, it's endearing. It sounds like more than anything, we have a couple of disciples now that are taking on some of our grunt work, which is great. <laughs> yeah, because you aren't doing it, so gotta be somebody. Else. Yeah, it was supposed it was supposed to be you and it's supposed to be you and Brandon, but yeah, I ain't doing I ain't doing shit. Well, hey, you're you're finding finding ways to make it, you know, get it done. So kudos, <laughs> kudos to you. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's pretty impressive too. You know, you get to the company president, and he's like <laughs> that on board and and reaching out to people. I mean, right? It, yeah, definitely, definitely. It is Such just a quick I mean, response. Maybe maybe part of maybe part of it's the business they're in too, where it's like a you know, it's a people, a, a connection, you know, people person kind of draws draws that kind of personality because. I don't know. I yeah. I can't imagine, you know, reaching out to to strangers and and getting that kind of response that often. But you know, maybe that's maybe that's just maybe that's just the way people are when you come at them, you know, with a genuine <laughs> plea for help. But uh, but it, it has been surprising and and not necessarily even the people that you expect that that go above and beyond like that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, as you said, it's it's it is a kind of networking type of job in the first place. But um, and I, you know, I did tell them. I said, like, we would, if you are in contact with this person, we'd be happy to hire them to come on our show through your agency. Like, you know, because like I would consider it, you know, work for them to come on and hang out with us. Yeah. Like, like that that we're that we're willing to commission. So, um. You know, so I'll stick Norton with that bill because he's Uncle Moneybags. And okay. they're like, oh, it's a couple thousand bucks an hour. Okay. <laughs> Talk to this guy. But yeah, so, so I mean, you know, like I said, I'm trying to temper my, my excitement because I feel like we have a very high chance that this isn't going to pay out. Um, and there's also, of course, still the possibility that maybe they used SVI to record, but they actually did use Konami employees. It's not impossible. I mean, all the people who are actually related to sound, so like 
because I, I went back and looked through it, like Eric Prisby and um, I guess Steve Johnson's not necessarily connected to sound, but he was directly involved in the game. Um, uh, what's his name? Fukui Kenichiro, who actually was doing the sound effects for Lethal Enforcers. Like all these guys said, I'm almost sure it was somebody in-house. I can't imagine it wasn't, you know, so I still feel like that's a really strong possibility and that we need to keep going down these, the list of names from people at Konami. But, um, you know, if it was a voice actor, I feel like we're getting, I, I don't know how else to go about it than where we have come so far. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. I've, I've brainstormed some things. It's like, could we go on to like the biggest radio station in Chicago and like, play some sound clips and hey, does this sound like your dad does this sound like your mom <laughs> like <laughs> like how how can we get this you know out what, there though that does sound that's a really that's a really fun idea that i would like to ask because you know you guys brandon mentioned that bill archer might come on the show and he must have connections at the radio stations like this is the kind of thing where i can imagine if i were a dj that this would be a really funny and amusing kind of thing to do on the show <laughs> Just to bring these people who are looking for some Chicagoan. Yeah. yeah, I guess if you're <laughs> looking for if you're looking for a segment to kill some time, which I imagine, you know, if you're doing a daily yeah. radio show, you're probably always looking for content. Maybe there's maybe there's yeah, some that... legitimacy to that, but because uh, I'm I, I was in a similar kind of thinking mode as you then, because I, I was like, how do we put out like an APB for this person through the like voice acting network? There must be a network there, and if we just say you know, to like a, like just a blanket call to every agency. We're looking for this <laughs> person, you know, <laughs> but I don't know. So, so that's, that's where we are right now, guys. But, um, you know, like I said, we're making these incremental steps towards something that might not be the conclusion we want, but that's that's really all I can offer. To yeah. be honest. Like, I don't know what you guys there want. Was supposed from me. To be a, there was supposed to be like a but at the end of that sentence. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we're kind of like re, we're we're moving towards our goal, but we're doing it by getting like halfway there every time. So you know, every yeah. at the start, like all our steps were kind of big, and it felt like we're getting closer. And now that we're we actually have gotten pretty close, now every step is is just tiny and, and getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And, you know, it's like, we'll yeah. never reach the wall because we're, we're only getting halfway there each time. It's um, I, I think maybe I mentioned this before. It's, it's very similar to like trying to achieve light speed. Like, you know, it, it takes as much energy to go from 99% to, to the 100% as it does to go from one to 99. <laughs> like <laughs> it's logarithmic, right? So like, yeah. as we get closer, it just takes 10 times the amount, you know, or whatever to get to that next tiny step. So, all right. Well, that's all that we have for today. Uh, for everybody listening at home, please be sure to check us out on Instagram. That's at searching for grog. And also be sure to like comment, subscribe, tell friends, um, tweet, post toot. I think that's what Mastodon, isn't that what Mastodon is called? tooting or something like that i'm trying to think i, I don't remember what i don't know the adage i just i just downloaded it too i'm not on mastodon but i'm pretty sure it's <laughs> called tooting which which is stupid we'll so do that anyway, if you guys if you do if you do toot then please toot about our show and um <laughs> yeah we'll catch you next time 
You've been listening to Searching for Grog, a podcast about fuzzy memories, family mysteries, and the video games that tie them all together. A huge thanks goes out to Jerry Jacobs and Bill Holtane from SVI, as well as Brian Bowden from The Talent Group. Thank you guys so much for helping out a stranger on the internet. Our music is by Captive Portal. This show and everything that we do is dedicated to the memory of our Nana Barbara Bolangi and our cousin Alyssa Gunn Maldonado. <laughs>